If you have your Bibles, we are, you guys can bring me down a little bit. We are in Mark chapter 13 now. This has been a journey through the gospel of Mark. We have a few more weeks to go. We will end with Mark 16. Spoiler alert, he dies. <laughs> and spoiler alert, he comes back from the dead. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, he died? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> Mark 13. Um, this is a, a challenging one because it's one continuous message, this chapter. The whole chapter is a prophetic message from Jesus about the near future and the long-term future. It's a prophetic text. If you're taking notes, this is a prophetic text. And prophetic texts are the most challenging texts to understand because there are layers to it. There's so many things that, nuances to prophetic texts that uh, sometimes people get lost in the language of the prophecies. And I'm going to do my best to try to help us understand and untangle some of the uh, challenges of a prophetic text. But this is one of those that Jesus is saying, I want to prepare you for the near future and for the long-term future. It's a prophetic word in Mark 13. And so this is going to be uh, one of those messages that we have to go into history to understand uh, this prophetic word and also how to be on alert and ready for the long-term future that God has for us. And uh, it's a little graphic. So if there's kids in a room, parents, I would encourage you uh, maybe to bring them to kids' class uh, because history is pretty graphic. Uh, I'm not going to go into all the details of it. Uh, usually when I tell parents to, to take their kids to classes, I'm, I'm talking about sex, but not today. I'm not talking about sex <laughs> today. Okay? I'm talking about the gore, the violence of history that, uh, that Jesus is talking about here, that maybe our kids are not ready to be at that place. So I'm just a word of warning, a word of caution at home, if you're watching at home. Uh, maybe uh, get the kids to another room, play the kids' videos. We have kids' videos on our website. Shout out to our kids' ministers. We have awesome. So here we go. We're, we're, I'm going to cover the first uh, couple of sections of this. Again, it's a one continuous message, so we can't cover all of it. So I'll, I'm going to do a follow-up during the week for the rest of it. So I'm going to start with the first uh, 13 verses. We're going to read the first 13 verses of Mark 13. The Bible says, as Jesus was leaving the temple, again, remember the last few days of his life he spends around the temple. One of his disciples said, teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the walls. Jesus replied, yes, look at these great buildings, but they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount Olives across the valley from the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately and asked him, tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to be fulfilled? Verse 5, Jesus replied, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war with nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world as well as famines, but this is, the, is only the first 
of the birth pains. This is the key to this prophetic message. Birth pains. I'm going to talk, label this talk birth pains. With more to come. Verse 9. When these things begin to happen, watch out. You will be handed over to the local councils and beaten in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. For the good news must first be preached to all nations. But when you are arrested and stand trial, don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at that time. For it is not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child. And children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's the word of the Lord. Can you say amen? amen. Birth pains. Birth pains is what Jesus is talking about here, about the immediate future of his followers. And then he gets into the long-term future of the world, basically. I had the privilege of being in the room every single time my wife gave birth to our 10 kids. I mean, it's five. <laughs> Feels like 10. But I was in a room every single time. And right from the first one, my respect level for her and all women went to a whole nother level. Because we thugs could not handle <laughs> what they go through to give birth to a child. I couldn't do it. I'm the sixth baby in the family. If I wake up with a little cough, I'm dying. Yo, my wife is a champ. She takes it like a champ. Like, I, I am blown away. But each time... I've walked away with an array of emotions when it comes to childbirth. Because it's the most excruciating pain, but it's also the most disgusting thing <laughs> that I've ever witnessed. It's the most weirdest thing I've ever been part of in my life. It's the most amazing thing. It is also the most ugliest thing. All at the same time. It's the most powerful thing you will ever experience. I remember when, when Grace, our first, was born. I'm telling you, I, I, I was in tears and I, I couldn't pray for days. I didn't have to pray because that, that was a spiritual experience. But I was also traumatized. It's like a ray of emotions all at once. And, and, I'm, and I'm the father. <laughs> I didn't go through that, you know. I'm just there grabbing a leg. <laughs> no kids in the room. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's a... It's a supernatural experience in a sense that a new person is brought into the world through that whole ordeal, not to mention the nine months of evolution that is happening inside of that person's body to give room for another human being. This, my friends, is what Jesus is trying to help us understand. That in order for this new kingdom to be birthed, 
there are these birth pains, and they're graphic, and they're powerful, and they're gruesome, but it's the way to new beginnings. It's a way to new life and to the kingdom that he's been preaching about all along. The challenging thing for us is that you have to go back to that time in order to go forward. The challenge with prophetic messages is you have to start where they started. Because the, the temptation is to insert ourselves into the now. But if you go straight to the now, you will miss a lot of what Jesus has been saying. It's like, it's like saying, I'm pregnant and we're going to deliver tomorrow. No, you're pregnant and there's a process through and you want a full pregnancy and then you're going to deliver this child. Notice, very important when you're reading this text, begin with the original context every single time. Matter of fact, anytime you read the Bible, you have to start with the original context. If you don't start with the original context, you are missing. And a lot of times I see people misinterpret the Bible because they want to insert right now into the original context. But in the original here, you see that Jesus, he's speaking specifically to his disciples about the immediate future of what was going to happen with the temple. They asked him about the temple. We've talked about the temple. And Jesus is saying, I need to warn you about what's coming. This temple will not last. Remember, he said, I came to put an end to fruitless religion. The temple was part of the people of God's way of life for centuries up to this point. This temple was originally rebuilt by, if you go back to the Israelites' captivity, when they, when they spent about 70 years in Babylon, they came back and began to rebuild the temple. And a couple of people that led the way was Zerubbabel and Ezra. You can find this in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah when they came back to rebuild the temple itself. And then King Herod took it upon himself to improve the temple conditions. And it's been, up to Jesus' time, it's been the center of their spiritual world for over a thousand years. The temple was the, what, what, what Muslims would call the Mecca, the headquarters of their worship and their way of life. So much so that they would swear by the temple. And Jesus said not to swear by the temple, or by, well, not to say by anything, because it's considered to be blasphemy if you go against the temple itself. So when Jesus says, this thing's going to be destroyed, that's a shocking thing to hear if you're in that time period. Because you'd be like, what do you mean? This is, the, this is everything to us. After Herod, Herod worked on a temple, the temple was expanded. This temple, my friends, I, I don't know if you remember the video we showed you a couple of weeks ago. It was massive. This temple was 500 yards long. In 400 yards wide. Herod began to rebuild the temple in 19 BC, before Christ. It wasn't completed until 63 AD. 80 years they were building this temple. And it was considered to be one of the wonders of the world. One of the greatest infrastructures of that time period. And after 80 years of rebuilding this place, Jesus is saying... This is seven years after they finished rebuilding this place. Jesus is saying it's going to be completely destroyed. And all along, if you've been paying attention to the reading, Jesus has been hinting that someone greater than the temple is here. Right? I came to nullify the temple sacrifices because I'm going to be the living sacrifice. And no longer do you have to go to the temple to sacrifice because I'm going to be the sacrifice on your behalf. In other words, I'm going to be the one to initiate this new movement. The birth pains are there, and I'm the one that you need to look at. I'm the beginning of this movement. This is the beginning, what we call the Jesus movement, 
that separates Judaism from Christianity. Are you tracking? And Paul tells us this in Romans, that what Jesus is saying here is the echoing of a new world to come. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 22. Paul says, For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. That everything is pointing to the fact that we are on the brink of something new. We have been since Jesus died and rose again. And again, it is a process of birth. It's a process that God has taken us through to bring, to bring about his kingdom now, but also later. Are you tracking so far? Paul goes on to say, if you keep reading Romans 8, he says, even your body is groaning. Even your body wants to give way to a new body. And he's saying that when, when you leave this earth, your body, your, your physical body gives away to a spiritual body because you yourself, you've been longing and groaning for new creation to come out of you. And when you get saved, you begin that process of a new creation, right? Because the old is gone and the new has come. But again, the temple is the focus here. The most beautiful building in the world up to this point was going to be destroyed. Jesus is prophesying. He's speaking what is about to take place, right? He had said, you guys turn this place into a den of thieves. Actually, this place is not even going to exist anymore. And I'm prophesying to get you ready for what's to come. So majority of what Jesus is doing here is preparing his first students for the backlash that was going to happen after he dies and rose again and they begin to take the message forward. He's trying to help them understand things are going to get really, really difficult. Just like when you're getting ready to give birth, everything intensifies. From what I hear, the contractions intensifies. One thing to, to have contractions early on, but when you start to really get close, and I don't know if you ever seen the videos when they put these little things on, on guys to try to f understand, and we all cry. My wife told me if I want to try. I said, no, I'm good. I saw you. Um, I, I believe you. <laughs> but as you know, it takes... A lot of patience to give birth. I remember our first child, we were in the hospital for 24 hours, right? 24 hours waiting. And I remember sitting there, you know, falling asleep and thinking, this thing is never going to happen. And all of, a sudden, all of a sudden, I hear the doctor go, grab a leg. I was like, what's going on? So patience is the name of the game. And it's so important for us to understand this because Jesus is saying to them, and he's saying to us, you must be patient through this process. You must be patient through what you're going to go through. And then in the middle of that, he gives them a, a, little, a little good news. He says, help is coming your way in the form of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you caught that. He says, help is coming your way in the middle of your trials and tribulations the Holy Spirit will come to empower you, to strengthen you, because persecution is about to be very real. When Jesus spoke these words, this was around 33 AD. And within a generation, everything that he said began to happen. A generation later, this is what we're going to get into history a little bit here. The persecution he prophesied would begin. And he begins with a vicious, rootless, evil man by the name of Emperor Nero. Nero became the emperor, and in 64 AD, about 40 years roughly after Jesus prophesied his words, there was this terrible fire that consumed Rome for days. Romans had this superstition because Romans worship about a thousand gods. Romans 
especially Nero, had this superstition, which we believe was demonic, that he believed that because the Christians will not worship their gods, he blamed the fire on the Christians. And he began one of the most intense persecutions in the history of believers. He began to ask the soldiers to rally up all the Christians because they're not worshiping their gods. And they caused the gods to come against them. Again, superstition and, and, and demonic oppression here where this man believed that these Christians are the reason why Rome has been burning for five days straight. And my friends, if you know history, you know that this was a very graphic time in the life of the church. Hundreds were crucified on the streets of Rome. All because they refuse to worship the Roman gods because they believe that Jesus is God. See, Rome has had a saying that Caesar is Lord. Christians started saying, oh, Jesus is Lord. And so they began to be persecuted because they would not bow down to the gods of the Romans. Not only were they crucified, this was the time of the gladiator entertainment. Did you know that they would watch people kill themselves to death in the name of entertainment? This was their entertainment. This was like going to the movies but watching people kill each other in real time. And so they started throwing Christians into these coliseums to be killed. They would throw them at lions, and people would cheer. Hundreds upon hundreds lost their lives during this time period. And I want to tell you that it may sound foreign to us, but you have to understand this, that there are countries in the world right now where people who are followers of Jesus are being persecuted. There are places in the world where Christianity is illegal where Bibles have to be smuggled into these countries. I have a friend who many years ago went into China with Bibles taped to her body, smuggled to be able to get people the Word of God. There are concentration camps in some countries. There are missionaries that cannot tell you where they live because they live in countries where Christianity is not welcome. So this is a real thing. Sometimes in the West, I think, we think because someone doesn't like you, you're being persecuted. No, that's not, that's not the same thing. We're not at that place yet. We, listen, next week is 4th of July. We need, to, we need to really pray for our country and thank God that we have freedom of religion in this country. But as you know, if you're paying attention, we may not be in physical persecution, but it's hard to ignore that our worldviews are clashing. More and more, we're, we're starting to drift away from the existence of a God. And the more you drift away from the existence of a God, the more you open up doors to other things. And so it's easy to justify violence when God is not in his rightful place. And I pray we don't get there. We need to pray that we don't get there. Because here's the thing, my friends. Those who don't face opposition, like persecution... The problem is, here's the opposite of that. The opposite of that is the temptation to become stagnant, to become cynical, to become lethargic, to become lazy in our faith. That's the opposite of persecution. In a weird way, persecution puts a pep to your step because it, it, it makes you question, do I really believe what I say I believe? So for us, sometimes in the West, we face the dilemma of becoming a sleepy church. And it's easy to fall into this, to this narrative of, you know, I just go to church on Sunday. This thing is not really that serious. But then when persecution hits, I don't know if you noticed, but a year ago when COVID hit, it seems like some people didn't have faith. They just went to church. Research estimates that since the day of Pentecost, millions of Christians have been killed because of their faith. Research shows that there are 28 countries right now with strong and massive persecution. 
There are 23 countries where Christians suffer discrimination in some regions. They'll, use, they'll lose homes and businesses because they profess to be followers of Jesus. This is a real thing. So you must understand that Jesus, first and foremost, was warning them about the immediate future. The Roman Empire was a vicious empire that anyone who got in their way would be killed and crucified. So crucifixion was a typical death sentence in that time period. When you look at the cross, you know, we look at the cross again from an American standpoint. It's cute. We got pictures on it. We got graphics. We got, we got lights on it. But for them, this was a death sentence. In a way, Christianity is a death sentence. You must die to your old self if you're going to live a new life in Christ. I want to keep reading here and then and make some more observations. Beginning with verse 14, Jesus goes on to say, look, he says, The day is coming when you will see the sacrilegious object that causes desecration, standing where it should not be. And Mark gives you a very strong hint. He says, reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for a pregnant woman and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter, for there will be greater anguish in those days than at any time since God created the world. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the Lord shortens that time of calamity, not a single person will survive. But for the sake of his chosen ones, he has shortened those days. Then if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there it is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Watch out. I have warned you about this ahead of time. At that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the star will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest end of the earth and heaven. I'm going to stop there. He says, leader, he says, reader, pay attention. In other words, you got to use discernment to know what's happening. This requires patience, but also requires discernment. Notice in verse 14, Jesus tells them to run. Says, run for the hills, because disaster's coming to Jerusalem. And my friends, this was fulfilled in 70 AD, when Romans took over Jerusalem and destroyed everything and killed many, many people. From, 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 from years 66 to 74 years, there was a war between the Jews who revolted and the Romans. Because the Jews, the zealots, which is a political military power within, the, the, within, the, within Judaism, they revolted against the Romans and began to have small victories. But the Romans were too big of an empire. They end up destroying everything in 70 A.D. And because of this word from Jesus, history tells us that a lot of Christians' lives were spared because they fled before this war took place. They remembered Jesus' words and ran, but not everybody was spared. I want to read to you an account from the historian Josephus, which is one of the most reliable sources for first century history. The Romans were outside of Jerusalem walls, and this was during Passover where people would come to Jerusalem to sacrifice. Thousands of people are in Jerusalem. They closed down them and forced them to live from the inside out, couldn't go anywhere. People began to starve. There was no food. And the Romans just stayed 
waiting until these people turn on each other. So when Jesus says, Father will turn on, on their kids and brothers turn, this is what happened during those four years of war. Josephus says this, he says, people starved, ate their own babies, fought each other for scraps. Jews killed Jews. It happened around Passover. The Romans trapped them inside Jerusalem. Thousands of people died. And there were fractions within the Jews who began to fight against each other, looking to basically jockeying for leadership and for position. Everything that Jesus said would happen took place in 70 AD. This is an historical fact. All you have to do is Google this. Four years of extremely intense persecution led by these evil Roman emperors. When you get to the book of Revelations, you have to understand this is what John is talking about mainly. This is why we have to be careful not to insert Revelation into 21st century because majority of what John is talking about is what they're experiencing and what they're going through during this time period. It started with Nero, but in, in a span of one year, Rome had their own civil war going on because in, 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 in the Roman side of it is you get the power, someone is, is, is jockeying for you. And so in four years, they went through four emperors who were all evil, Nero, Otto, Vitellius, and then Vespasian, all violent, all killing, civil war, all around. And this last emperor, Vespasian, was on his way to Rome to receive the crown when his adopted son Titus entered Jerusalem, burned the temple, destroyed the city, crucified thousands of Jews. This is why you have to understand why the prophetic language is so graphic. It's trying to paint the picture for this reality. And this is where a lot of people misinterpret prophetic words because they take it literally. For example, when Jesus says stars will fall from the sky, this is all metaphors. And if you read any prophetic message, you will see this language. Let me give you one example. Isaiah prophesied this way too. Look, Isaiah says this in, in, in one of his prophecies. The heavens will be black above them. The star will give no light. The sun will be dark when he rises. And the moon will provide no light. Same wording that Jesus uses. I, the Lord, will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their sin. I will crush the arrogance of the proud and humble the pride of the mighty. So all of this is metaphors and analogy to, to, to make you pay attention to the calamity that's at hand. If you take this literally, you were looking for stars to fall from the sky. And this is where it gets a little weird, where people become doomsday preppers and all those, you know, weird things. Because you can go really south on this stuff. That's the struggle with this, with this type of teaching. You know, I was thinking about this. You can go two ways. You can go really, really south and stop prepping, you know, and buy guns and, <laughs> and go live in Montana. <laughs> or you can be really lethargic and say, no, that stuff is just, it's just fairy tales. So we live in extremes. Again, not the end of the world, but the end of their world. Now, he talks about long-term future, but he's talking about more I mean, immediate future here. What God is doing here, look, I will crush the arrogance of the proud and humble the pride of the mighty. God is vindicating Jesus through his death and resurrection. God is saying everything I said was going to happen through him is happening, and I'm destroying everything else that doesn't belong. He talks about the desolation of abomination when the Roman Empire made it to the temple. That was a sign that Jesus was talking about. Jesus was actually quoting another prophetic message out of Daniel. Daniel lived about 164 years before Christ says this, and Jesus is literally quoting him. Go ahead, go to Daniel. His army, watch this, word for word. His army will take over the temple fortress, pollute the sanctuary, put a stop to the daily sacrifices, and set up the sacrilegious object that causes desecration. Daniel prophesied this about 164 years, and Jesus is co-signing this prophecy saying, this is what's going to happen. That's a major sign for you guys to pay attention to. 
Paul later on, I'll probably get into this during the week, but Paul gives you even more long-term fulfillment when he says, there is an Antichrist coming. See, the Bible calls it spirits of Antichrist, meaning like there's many people who have that spirit, who hates God, who hates God's people. And we've seen this throughout history. We've seen it with Nero, but we've also seen this with Hitler. We've seen this with Mussolini. We've seen it in China right now. It may not be as violent as it was, but it still is. There's concentration camps in China. So this stuff is very, very real. Again, like I said, we need to pray that that nation doesn't fall into this slippery slope of trying to live without God. Because the consequences are drastic. If you look at history, between this time period of 66 to 70 AD, there were so many people who rose up and called themselves the Messiah. Because people were looking for hope. People were looking for a way out. And Jesus said, hey, people are going to come and say, I'm the Messiah. People would prophesy and say, hey, come this way. Come with me. And Jesus was saying, don't pay attention to any of those people because it's all false. They came to offer rescue, try to gain followers, promising signs and wonders. All false messiahs and prophets. Now, a word of caution here because I've seen this happen during our time right now. I think... Because of COVID, right, COVID was a major world pandemic, so automatically you think prophetic words. Automatically you're wondering, okay, God, what, what is this? Is this part of this whole process, right? Of course, you should. But here's what, what happened to us this last two years. We had one thing after another. You had COVID. You had racial tension. And then you had an election, so what do we do? We're looking for prophecies to say, okay, God shows us, like, what is this? What is happening? And I think we should, but I've seen the mistake that a lot of people made during this time. They confused false prophecies with differences in theology. It's not the same thing. This is why you need discernment. Because I've seen so many people equate difference of theology with false teachings and prophecies. It's not the same thing. So, so what happened is people begin to read the Bible and interpret it for themselves. And, any, and, and because of their own interpretation, we begin to fight each other. We actually turn on each other. Seen Christians turn on each other because you decided that that person is a false teacher because of your interpretation of scriptures, but you misinterpreted. Why? Because you started with the now instead of going back to the beginning and asked the question, how did that make sense first to them first? I got news for you, and I'm dead serious about this. America is not in the Bible. Trump is not in the Bible. Barack Obama was not in the Bible. Ronald Reagan is not in the Bible. Richard Nixon is not in the Bible. JFK is not in the Bible. Like, we, every four years, we try to insert America in this thing. It's dangerous. It leads to people not even talking with each other because we bought into the lie that, that it's about what's happening right now. Now, believe me, we're on a journey, but we have to start with what's happening then before trying to figure out what's happening now. COVID brought a whole mess of teachers on YouTube who know the Bible. <laughs> like everybody in their mom is a prophet now. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous. I'm serious. It's a dangerous theology when we start to insert our own understanding into this thing. A lot of fear and paranoia has led our country lately. We are being divided by theological differences. More than the actual falsehood of teachings that Jesus is talking about is very different from you not agreeing with your Baptist friend. I got Baptist friends. I got Baptist preachers. Listen, they would, they, would, they would cringe with our worship. <laughs> but that doesn't mean we're false and they're false. It's just different of theology. We're friends. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. 
So please be careful with that notion that just because you don't agree with someone approach to church, it means they're false. It's not the same thing. It's an extremely immature understanding of the Bible. Because if you read the Bible closely, you, you, you realize that, that the Bible tells us that we are a body. And in the body, there are many veins, there are many parts to it. That's like saying, your arm is ugly. It's like, yeah, but it's part of my body. <laughs> so that's not what we're talking about here. I pray we don't go home from here and start looking at, you know, other brothers and sisters. We need to look at the signs of the world and say, God, what are you up to? What is happening? But you know what? A sign that, 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 that we should pay attention to the most is what's my allegiance to? That's what the most important thing. With COVID and elections, we saw that people don't have an allegiance to Jesus. They have allegiance to nationality. Some people are American, then Christian. That's a problem because then you're going to interpret everything of the Bible through your American eyes, not through your Christian eyes. You should be a Christian American, not an American Christian. The beauty of this is Jesus says it's, it's birth pains. It's, it's, it's pay attention to the contractions. Daniel goes on to say this about Jesus in his prophetic word. He says, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man. Who calls himself son of man? Jesus. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient one, which is God the Father, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world, so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. He's saying, as all of this is going on, guys, understand, in the spiritual realm, there's victory. The cross and the resurrection was victory. It was, it was Jesus going back home with victory. This is not about him coming back. This is about him going back home to his throne and rule as the king of the world. And, and his kingdom, again, is for those who in their heart has pledged allegiance to him. You, like you're wondering, where, where, where is the throne? It's in your heart. Who is the Lord of your life? Who is the king of your life? It's about the triumph and vindication of Jesus. Simultaneously, as God is judging everything else. That's how it usually is. If you pay attention to the Bible, redemption and judgment always go together. They always go together. It's another prophetic word about Jesus, his resurrection and his ascension back to heaven. To rule. It says, I put my enemy under my feet. Psalm 110. It says, now I rule. See, the world is, feels like it's going from bad to worse. But Jesus is like, no, everything that I said I was going to do, I did. It's just that now we're going to continue to see the fullness of this birth pains. He says, the good news will now travel to the Gentiles. This is where the book of Acts comes into play. The Holy Spirit did come, like he said. The church was birthed, like he said. The movement began, like he said. The beauty of this, my friends, is that no matter what the enemy has thrown at the church, the church has always prevailed. The church has always prevailed. Do you want to know where the biggest Christian movement is right now in the world? I want you to guess. This is, I'm asking an open question, which is scary. <laughs> it's in Africa. The most powerful movement of God right now is happening in Africa. And did you know that Africa has some of the biggest persecutions in Muslim countries? Extreme Muslims, not, not all Muslims, because we have to be, again, Americans, we have to be careful. <laughs> But Africa is seeing the biggest Christian boom. They're saying in probably 50, 60 years, Africa and South America will have the most Christians. And those are the places that have the biggest battles and struggles. Sad fact. You know where Christianity is dying? Right here. Right here. Right here in our lethargic 
sleepless approach to Christianity. Right here. Because we've gotten caught up in politics, we've gotten caught up in, in money, we've gotten caught up in all kinds of stuff instead of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The birth of the Christian movement is a painful one. So let me end with, I want to give you just some practical things to think about when you think about prophecies and end time. First thing we should do, my friends, is pray for our brothers and sisters who are facing real persecution. That should break our hearts. We should pray for relief. We should pray for peace. We should pray for God to overwhelm them with his grace and peace. And if you don't know where to start, just Google it. You'll see it. But also, the second thing is we, we should anticipate and be ready for his return. Because if all of those things has happened, then the rest will happen as well. But keep reading. He said, no one knows the day or the hour. So in other words, patience and discernment is the key. It's not going looking for signs. It's not going and creating all these Bible graphs and charts and all that nonsense. It's about living a holy, righteous life before him and trust that when he comes, he will find you. <laughs> Messages like this, I believe, should give us a sense of repentance, of asking the Lord to purify our hearts. It should give us a sense of urgency. When I was in school studying, I'll never forget what my professor said. He said, we can, stand, we can spend here all day arguing about our differences in how to interpret the book of Revelation. But he said, here's the outcome. Here's the final thing I want to say to you guys, students, is Jesus is coming back or you're going to go meet him. So be ready for either. Amen. It should bring a sense of boldness for us to speak about his grace to those who don't know him. It should make us question our allegiance. And I think it should keep, help us keep a light touch on the things of the world, not hoard things. I told my wife the other day, I'm at a point now, I just want to be a minimalist. I just, I'm like, what's the point of all this? Every season, the weather changes, and I look at my clothes, I'm like, what is the point? What is the point of all this? I told her the other day, I'm not kidding you, I was online Googling clergy shirts. I'm like, can I find one that doesn't look really like a priest, but sort of, so I can wear the same shirt over and over again? And so don't get weird if in a few weeks you see me wearing the same thing. Just know I'll be taking showers. I'm just, I'm just sick of it. I really think that stuff can stuff you down. Instead of living freely and blessing people and helping people and being a, a blessing. But above all, my friends, I end by saying this. I think when I study prophecies, I just want Jesus to be the center of my life. I don't want to be the guy who went to church. I want, no, I want to follow him. It's even weird right now, to be honest with you, to call ourselves Christians. We should call ourselves followers of Jesus. But we're following him. We're following his way. Come on, let's stand together as we pray. Please hear the heart of the message of prophecies is to prepare you for God's kingdom. It's not to scare you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord, which is, which is a reverence, a respect, an honor that God, you are God, despite what's happening around us. 
Despite who was in the White House, God, you are God. Despite of what people are doing out there, God, you are God. And I want you to be at the center of my life. I don't want to miss what you're doing in me, but also in the world. During the week, I'll, I'll, I'll share the rest. But even Jesus said, I don't even know the day or the hour. Jesus said that. And here are people running around telling you, I know. <laughs> Crazy. People predicting the end of the world. Jesus is like, I don't even know. <laughs> That's scary, right? If the CEO is like, I don't know. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> With your couple YouTube videos. <laughs> so I don't know about you. I'm going to listen to Jesus. I'm going to listen to Jesus. So let's pray, Jesus, we just ask you to come and be the center of our lives. God, I pray that it's your goodness that leads us to repentance, to live right before you. God, make us a people who hate lawlessness but love righteousness. Make us a people who are holy and, and pure before you. For, Father, we want to be ready. One day you're going to call our name. And we want you to be able to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. God, help us to stay the course, to stay focused, rooted, and grounded in your will and your purpose. God, I pray we don't, we don't go completely left or completely right. We want to go center of your will. We want to be in the center of your will. So be the center of our lives today, we pray. In Jesus' name, let's worship some more. Jesus at the center of our lives. As we worship, you're welcome to come and pray. The worship... The prayer team is going to come, but let's worship some more. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.